0: The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Yeah. 25
1: Saturday nights, 50 matches, all season long on ION. Out in front of Williams, slips through, here's a shot, it's in! This is a game changer
0: for sports.
1: Sabina takes a shot herself! Cavers at home! Oh my goodness!
0: See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com.
2: And on this episode, two people set to sea in a homemade submarine. Only one returned. We'll review the HBO documentary, Undercurrent, The Disappearance of Kim Vall. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host... Of the these are their stories podcast, my husband, love of my life, and caretaker. In this week of illness, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin.
0: How's your uh, your sinuses, Rebecca?
2: Well, I can finally stand up without falling over. Uh huh. And I can finally hear out of both of my ears. Did uh, all
0: that cocaine help clear up the, <laughs> the nasal passages?
2: Well, there's been FloNas, oh, antibiotics, flonase. Oh, yeah.
0: quote unquote Flonase. Uh, what that
2: other spray, the one that makes you super high? What is it? Afrin.
0: It's cocaine, but okay. The yeah. one <laughs> you
2: can only do like once because you <laughs> It's habit forming, and like eighteen neti pots, and and that's gotten me ready for this podcast. So I'm okay. All right, I'm
0: glad you 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 look like you're in fighting shape. So let's do it.
2: (laughs) Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura.
3: Good evening, Rebecca. Welcome back.
2: And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcasts, the world traveling Toby Ball. Hello, Toby.
4: Bonjour, Rebecca. Oh, we picked
0: up some French
4: out there. We yep.
2: did. Did you pick up any, like, Scottish brogue or
3: anything while you were there?
4: Uh, No. Oh, did you okay. try the haggis? Yeah, no, yeah. that's Australia. I
3: tried blood sausage last week, Toby, in solidarity with you. <laughs> oh man,
4: you blood sausage! I good did. Lord. It looked like a
3: slice of beet, and I was like, "This is what Toby Balls eating in." Uh, no, Scotland. I had
4: some. I had some bangers and mash, which was mm-hmm. really good at a pub. Yeah. Yeah. I also ate
2: goat, which I don't recommend. Oh, I love goat. Uh, We had some oxtail that was delicious. Um, So we'll we'll, we'll talk about this more in the after show. But one of my favorite things that Toby did on his trip Mm -hmm. was he posted photos of the highlands as if he didn't know they existed before. He was like, look, these are the highlands, Mm -hmm. they exist.
4: But the thing about the Highlands is it's mostly owned by the Scottish government and then I guess there's these families that also own these huge expanses. Yeah. But it's not developed at all. I know. Like there's a few little towns and stuff, but you go miles and miles and miles. You don't see any signs of life of people. And it's just it's just vast, you know. If that was in America, there would be like resorts all over the place and ski runs and all kinds of shit. But there it's just sort of gorgeous vastness yeah super cool
0: well we're glad you returned because now the four of us are all back for the first time in several weeks the band is back
3: together yeah yeah i was forced to watch like love is blind and bridgerton while you guys were gone (laughs) in my downtime because i was the only one who didn't go anywhere exciting except you know my house
0: well we got a lot of good stuff i think in the next couple of weeks a lot of watching coming up
3: Well, Kevin, what is coming up on the next episode
2: of Crime Writers On coming up on Thursday?
0: On Thursday, we're all going to be talking about the HBO documentary Phoenix Rising. Yes. It's the one with Evan Rachel Wood talking about her experiences with domestic violence at the hands of Marilyn Manson.
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting one. And I look forward to talking about that. All right. Well, we have a big documentary to talk about this evening. So I say we should get to it. What do you think? Jump into it. All right, let's roll that first clip.
3: We have seen a lot of stuff in court cases. We have seen dead bodies. But still, there was something about this case that just messed up my head. In
2: 2017, Swedish freelance journalist Kim Vall boarded a homemade submarine to interview a Danish entrepreneur. When it failed to make port the following day, Navy officials found the vessel as it floundered and sank. The only one to get off the sub was its owner, Peter Madsen.
0: So immediately when I heard that the submarine was missing, and I said, now it has finally happened. I didn't know at that time anything about Kim. We only knew that she was a journalist doing her job.
2: Madsen's story about Kim Vahl's fate kept changing, saying she accidentally died aboard and he buried her at sea. But the case took an ominous twist when her dismembered torso washed ashore.
4: That was really a nightmare when that happened. That changed everything. And it all became negative, And it all became a monster. And Nautilus became a black, evil machine.
2: The two-part HBO documentary, Undercurrent, The Disappearance of Kim Vall, recounts the famous Nordic murder case, including its complicated investigation and motives around snuff film sex fantasies. It also explores the life stories of the rising journalist and the eccentric inventor. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Undercurrent. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. So, Toby, you sent a really interesting note about this because it's something I was thinking about, too, because this documentary does a really interesting effort in trying to balance the story of the victim with the story of the killer, which is something that a lot of true crime media grapples with. Right. And it gets criticism for what do you think about this documentary and Aaron Lee Carr, the director's approach to that here?
4: So I actually, I think this did it about as well as any show like this has done it. The approach is, is that uh, Kim Vall, like her story is present throughout, right? It's not the kind of thing where they give you 15 minutes on her life, and then you spend the rest of the time on the crime and, and focusing on, on Peter Madsen. Instead, throughout the show, you're hearing from her friends, you're getting slices of her life, which was very sort of adventurous as a freelance writer, going to these dangerous locations and going to like an atoll where they were doing nuclear tests and North Korea. And you know she's present and in a way that doesn't feel, it's not flip and like she lit up a room every time she walked in. I mean, you're talking to her friends, many of whom are also journalists about her work and and sort of the way she was daring and, and her sort of values. And Kim was really diving into it with so much confidence and tenacity. And the fact that something catastrophic would have happened to her on a reporting trip, it's impossible to imagine that that something like that could happen to to someone like her. You don't really get lost in the, like, what happened thing and lose sight of you know, who the victim was. I feel like they got the balance, at least in my opinion. I think they got the balance just about perfect.
2: So, Laura, we actually watched a fictionalized version of the story with the HBO series, The Investigation, which Mm -hmm. very much focused on the search for Kim's remains, right? And what they did to actually find enough evidence to bring this case to trial. And this was a very different angle. What did you think when you were watching this, comparing it to what we saw in the investigation? Which, by the way one of the things that occurred to me was how well cast the investigation was, especially Mm -hmm. like watching the cop, especially when you give the press conferences. And I was like, oh my God, it looks just like the guy in the investigation.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely noticed the casting and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I know who that guy is or like that girl or whatever. You know, I think the thing with the investigation is that it was like so painfully slow. You know, I remember like the scene with like the dog in the dinghy boat and they were always out circling, circling. But I feel like, that particular portrayal of the story really, really gave you an appreciation, or at least gave me an appreciation for like this perseverance of the investigators in this case. Because I mean, you're like, oh my gosh, are they ever gonna find this poor lady's remains? Because it just went on and on and on. So I think this being two parts was definitely the right length. Like, you know, part one is like Kim Vall and like how she goes missing in this crazy submarine. And part two is like the trial. And I liked that it was more condensed and it moved along quicker, but I also felt like I did lose the part where you realize that this was not like an open and shut case, that there was a lot more that went into this than you captured in these two episodes, but that wasn't really the purpose of this one. So, I mean, for me, I was like, geez, I wish there was a way to convey. I mean, they did have the guy who was talking about the tides or whatever that came in that was the title expert. But, you know, this was definitely much more about Kim and then much more about wackadoo Peter Madsen, the Elon Musk of the homemade submarine world or whatever. But, you know, I wish there was a way to kind of strike a balance between the two, because I think that even though we already had the portrayal of that investigation, it's something that was just so tremendous in the way that they finally found her body that I wish that part hadn't been lost in this adaptation of this. What do you think about that, Kevin?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there are things that we missed from both the investigation and from Undercurrent. I mean, we saw the investigation first. They made the choice dramatically not to identify the suspect which was very unusual. I mean, they just called him the suspect. They didn't use his name. didn't really talk about him at all. You know, it was kind of an activist statement, like we're not going to give credence or attention to the killer. But what we missed out there was all this detail about this killer was no average person in the community. Peter Madston is like Elon Musk. It's like Elon Musk killing somebody on a SpaceX rocket.
2: Yeah, and who he <laughs> was was important.
4: He's a kind of crazy inventor. That builds submarines and rockets, and uh, was just funny to follow. I mean, why build a submarine? Why build a rocket? But he did.
0: You know, it may have been suitable for a Nordic audience to sort of go over that because they already know. But it's important missing context for us. And right, I mean, the the dramatic series was was not originally made for an American audience, right? This was in the middle of COVID, and we're buying up all the different IP around the world that we can. But if you sent the people versus O.J. Simpson to South Korea and then cut out all the references to O.J. Simpson, you'd be missing an awful lot in that, right? And so that's what I, I feel like having watched Undercurrent, what we missed from the investigation. And I think also, if I could continue on, what I think that we missed from Undercurrent based on what we saw in the investigation was the investigation gave us this great appreciation of the difficulties in the search and the prosecution. Undercurrent just says, well, the torso washed ashore. And then the lady said, well, they found other body parts. But there was this enormous bay. The investigation was, you know, several episodes of different ways of trying to find needles in a watery haystack. And that was really fascinating. And that just. Was it, though? They dramatized it and made it fascinating in the
2: investigation. But in this documentary, yeah. they like they threw a coin in. They had to trace it. They did all this stuff. They dramatized it in, Well, they
0: didn't literally throw a coin in. No, that was that I, was know, the, yeah. I know
2: that. But they but they they dramatized it in the fictionalized version and they added drama to it, which made it interesting. But let's be real, we were watching a boat go back and forth for a really long time. The acting was great. Okay, and the dramatization yeah. well, of the was. Well, the
0: third thing, then in reality, yes. the thing that they showed was that you were using cadaver sniffing dogs. But yeah. then when they found gases, they had to like calculate where back in the tides those gases may have been coming from. And it took weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Right, but then a the footage that just, of went, that. that just went zoom. Okay, right. now we're right into it. So I felt like knowing both things, I think in a perfect world. I think an American audience would have watched the undercurrent first and then watched the investigation, you know, a broader, deeper dive into a certain part of that. Uh, You know, plus they sort of just in the investigation, they skipped right over the trial and we got so much about, you know, the sensationalism of the trial. And it just it's context that maybe a Nordic audience would already know. I felt like between the two of them, there were deficiencies and they, in that way, they complemented each other by covering those.
2: That's what I felt, too. I felt like they were companion pieces, right? Yeah. Because the one thing I kept thinking is that, like, if in this Aaron Lee Carr documentary, they tried to do the days and days and days of dogs sitting on a boat, they didn't actually have footage of that, right? No, had they didn't to be, even
0: mention that. Yeah. Would, but if
2: it would have had to be recreations of dogs sitting mm-hmm. on a boat. Like... That could have been for makeup, made for really shitty documentary scenes, and we could all be sitting here making fun of it. Well, we
0: don't know what the actual B roll is, right?
2: I understand that, but we have criticized so many Netflix documentaries for being way too fucking long for doing exactly that same stuff, right? Where we like, we're like, we get it. There was a dog sitting on a boat for a really long time. Did that really need to be three episodes of us watching a dog sitting on a boat? Like, we've criticized documentaries for doing the same thing. So I just, I don't want to, like, those are facts that we know, and granted, we've seen that, but I just, I also know that when you don't actually have the film or don't have access to it, I just feel like just because we know what happened doesn't mean we should criticize it for not being there. And what do you think, Toby?
4: Well, I just, I kind of feel like the two things are are after such different outcomes mm. in that it really seemed to me that the investigation was really about the Danish bureaucracy, right? And like how the organization sort of grinds and, and eventually comes up with a solution but that it's not, you know, moments of like genius or whatever, that it's this sort of institutional effort that through throwing resource at it eventually gets a result. And that seemed to me to be like sort of the main theme. Whereas this is really I think the story of like two people and they intersect in that Madsen murders Vol, but it's actually sort of what the investigation left out, which is the personalities of the people who are sort of most intimately involved. I didn't really feel like my understanding of what they're trying to get across in the documentary was in any way affected by the fact that we didn't find out more about the tediousness of the search for the, the body underwater. And then I think if they had started going down that road with more about Madsen, I mean, he's such a weird character Yeah, that I think you've, you've got to commit one way or the other. Like if you're going to suddenly bring him in as like a presence in the investigation, it's going to be a big freaking presence, right? It can't just be a little thing. It's like, this guy is like very unusual in a bunch of different ways, both good and bad, I guess. I mean, weird, I guess weird and bad, more than good and bad. So anyway, I hear what you're saying. I think the idea that they're companion pieces is good. And I think you're right about, ideally you do it in the opposite order than we did. So how about we
0: surface? for a minute, like come up from the surface, okay, like a submarine.
2: That's not distasteful and at all.
0: <laughs> before we sink back down, we will uh, talk about some business. Okay, it's a
2: business section.
0: So coming up on Patreon tonight, we have the return of the Crime Writers on After Show. Oh, Four of us are here. Gangs back together. We're going to be talking about the exciting global adventures that we had. We hit all these different continents, Toby Ball in Europe, the Flynn Voice in the Caribbean, Yep, Laura Bricker just tooting around town, so we're going to get caught up on uh, all of that.
2: We're talking about the listener who recognized you by face. I know, right? <laughs> in another this, country? This face. Weird. Everybody yeah. check out this face. What sure. is the Kevin. islands? In a
3: pool. In a pool. She recognized really? Kevin by face.
0: Amazing. I recognize
3: Kevin because... Of his face. Um, because when he's recording without pants in Studio C yeah. and he's in a swimming pool... I suddenly knew it was him.
0: Yeah, I was Winnie the Poohing it in it. <laughs> also, coming up on Patreon this week, uh, Toby is going to be recording the next Deep Dive Book Club. The book is called The Library Book. That's Thursday
4: night, uh, Toby, for the live recording. Who's our guests? Uh, it's another fine group of Deep Dive veterans. We've got Janet Varney, Sarah D. Bunting, and Shiloh Cantonese. He, is this?
0: like Dr. Shiloh?
4: Dr. Shiloh from L.A. Not So Confidential.
2: All-star panel.
4: Yeah, great yeah, panel. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about this group and talking about this uneven book.
2: I hope you've read the book, Toby.
4: Uh, Yes, I have read the book. I think he just tipped his hand a little bit. There.
2: Uneven.
0: So lastly, we want to tell folks to sign up now for this week's Crime Writers On newsletter. Go to CrimeWritersOn.com. We'll send you a free newsletter on uh, Thursdays, bringing you all the great stuff Crime Writer's on behind the scenes, our cat of the week, different wonderful things. And we promise we will sell your email only to aluminum siding salesmen ah. who promise to call at night.
2: Want to hear a fun fact about our newsletter? What's that? It has a 65% open rate. That's great. Do you know that like the average open rate for a newsletter is like 20%?
0: I also have bad wow. news. We have so many people now, we got bumped up to the next level. So we're paying more. We're oh, paying no. a whole lot more, yeah. So, anyway. Taking
2: that, out of our, taking that out of our commission.
0: Less than the checks this week, guys. <laughs> and thus ends the business Wait, section. Wait, okay, there's
2: something important. What? How do people sign up to get all the Patreon content? Oh. You to tell people how to do that. i didn't tell them that?
0: No. Like at the beginning of every goddamn episode? That's right. How, it how says, do you get it? You go to patreon.com slash... Partners in Crime Media. And thus ends... Thus now ends... The Business business section.
2: So, let's talk a little bit about Madsen. Because, so people in the film do compare him to Elon Musk, saying that he was Elon Musk of Denmark. Now, we all know that Elon Musk is wild and does have this imagination and makes things because he wants to. Does Um, he? Yes, but he also <laughs> makes, by the way, Elon Musk does make a bunch of very boring things that we don't talk a lot about that actually do change the world. A solar company, for instance, is very boring and actually is very interesting. Batteries for houses and all that stuff. No one talks about that. Everyone just talks about the rockets and the Teslas and stuff. But this guy is literally just making like, Shit. Like like, mm-hmm. it, like he's like this
0: A bigger submarine. This time. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: don't I know. But he's also a polymath, right? Like he also like does what music and all this other stuff. Um sits in his workshop with all the saws hanging in the background. But it clearly seems like he did plan to take a woman on his submarine and murder her, right? That seems to have been something that he planned to do and Kim ended up being the unfortunate victim. Laura, what do you make of this? Like, he literally came out of the submarine with blood on his face and gave an interview. I'm not making light of it, but that is what happened.
3: Well, it's just astounding. Like, when you see this and, you know, you think, again, he's a larger-than-life character there. He's this eccentric entrepreneur, and he's so confident that he apparently thinks— hey, I can come out and just like, because he told however many different stories with like blood on me and nobody's going to do anything to me. I guess I just had a hard time really believing that there aren't other victims or other crimes that he's committed because you don't just go from like, hey, I'm building a weird submarine to like, hey, I'm going to like dismember somebody and dump her overboard on a submarine without like anything in between, you know? Mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting. We had that woman who dated him at one point, like a an ex and, and she was like oh this is not like the the Peter I know and I'm like really cuz like it, it's just it's kind of a leap i mean that's not like an ordinary kind of crime but i think there were so many pieces at play here from just how he was regarded in the country for what he was doing to just how he carried himself and this attitude of his of you know maybe that he was like teflon in terms of i can do this and tell whatever story I want and nothing is going to happen to me because of who I am. It was, it was pretty amazing. So I I would be curious to know going forward if more comes out about him and, because you you always see that like an escalation when you have somebody that's committing a violent crime. Yeah. And I want to know more about that escalation in his life and what else we might find out like as people become more comfortable and maybe come forward with information. Well,
2: it was pretty creepy, Toby, was it not, that he was raised by a Nazi?
4: Yeah, it doesn't sound like he had a great childhood. Yeah. I mean, you don't really learn a whole lot about it other than his characterization of like, what would you think it was like if to be raised by a prison camp guard? And then those pictures of the family were <laughs> a little haunting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, again, they don't dwell on it very much, but you can see, you know, where his upbringing probably left him with some strange thoughts about things or, or some, 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 difficulty making connections until you just, you
0: brought it up. I completely forgot that they had audio interviews with the killer. Yes. And it was like, wow, how unremarkable it was. Like they didn't really use that in a way that moved the story other than sort of just got dropped in, in a couple of places. Yeah, Cause he was weird.
2: He didn't really say much. He, was,
0: he didn't say. Well, <laughs> why interview him at all? I'm kind of puzzled at the use of.
2: My theory is he yeah. probably didn't say much. So, they, well, just they, so they
0: did. They said on the card that and they interviewed him multiple times.
2: Correct. I here's what I guess. Yeah. My guess is he probably just rambled and didn't say a lot. So he just dropped it in for color. Like, yes, we talked to him and here's some of the creepy shit he said. He didn't yeah. really. He didn't really have much to say, right? Other than. What do you think of this thing that I'm saying? Right, he didn't really say anything, uh, you know.
1: I'd like to move one step back. You cannot see the crime without seeing what produced it. You need to understand.
2: What was that thing we watched recently with the other guy who was had the like Nazi like in Germany who also had the horrible Deep child? Deeper. Jesus Christ! Like that's it that was just, actually
0: in Germany. Yes.
2: Yes. Not a great, not a great way to to grow up. And then also, Toby, he had those writings about good and evil that were so incredibly chilling, too. Like a lot of, I mean, it's it goes beyond toxic masculinity. It's like sociopathy, right?
4: Yeah, you know, it reminded me of a, a New Yorker article that came out a bunch of years ago about um, a writer in Poland who wrote a book. Uh, that was similar to like this kind of thing where it was like sort of a meditation on evil and and how that works and sort of described a murder and then it turned out that the guy actually committed a murder identical to that so it was similar to this where it's strange and you wonder what the psychology is of posting publicly, you're sort of wrestling with ideas of evil and living an evil life and then like actually carrying out sort of the end result of this sort of philosophical mumbo jumbo that he's got out there. And whether that just indicates his sort of sense of invulnerability or maybe he really did want to get caught or whatever, but it's not the kind of thing that you would think like a genius would do if he was planning on committing a murder and didn't want to get caught.
2: Right. Never trust someone who has a manifesto. That's what I've always.
4: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, I want to live in the evil. It's like, yeah, probably don't want to get on a boat with you.
2: Exactly. So Kevin, what did you think about, I mean, there's a lot in here about um, Kim, you know, her freelance journalism career, which by the way, was not a slouchy freelance journalism career. She went to London school of economics, She went to Columbia school of journalism. We know there's different stripes of, quote, freelance journalist stringers like she was not an amateur. She was obviously doing really interesting work, really important work. And there was a thread here about her having done things that were legitimately dangerous, legitimately adventurous, and then her being murdered in her own backyard being very strange, given that she had been in so many places that were so much more dangerous. What did you think about that storyline in the documentary?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Certainly, Kim did have you know some incredible placement in great outlets, New York Times, Vice, Vice. This seems like I'm sure this was probably going to be a Vice story because you can wired. already see that
2: it was a Wired. Oh,
0: Wired. That's right. Yeah. Why not Vice? Why, Vice would love it because the headline would be like "My Night in a Homemade Submarine" or some crazy <laughs> shit like that, right? Yeah. I mean that. Those are some, you know, top-notch magazines. So if you're freelancing, it would be better to be a staff writer. But the list of uh, bylines that they showed, you know, that she had great connections. And she was going places that were far-flung and doing interesting stories. Not run-of-the-mill stuff, but, you know, some real cutting edge some deep digging stories. And so while she may not have been a famous journalist, I'm sure she was respected in the circles that she was in. And, yeah, I mean, does it seem... it's not? You can't call it mundane, but... Is it ironic that you know where it was that she died wasn't in the Philippines or in China or a war zone that or a it nuclear happened to
2: be, waste site?
0: Yeah, that it, it happened to be across the bay from you know where she grew up. Uh, yeah, perhaps.
2: So, Laura, but she did everything right. Because this is what really struck me, right? Because if you're going on a assignment alone with a stranger, even if he's a, he's famous, right? So you're thinking to be fine. You're still mm-hmm. you're still going to think you're checking in, right? And she actually, like, texted her boyfriend, I'm still alive. Like, haha. but that's a check-in, right? Well, it's i yeah.
0: I'm sorry, but her fear is that, not that she's going to be murdered, but that they're going to die drowning in an accident, right? No, but right? it's
2: also... No, it's still a check-in. It's still a oh, check-in. Oh, you think it is? Okay. No, no, no it's a... It's not a check-in like she thinks she's going to be murdered. A check-in like I'm still okay. Like that's a thing women do.
3: It is. It is. It is. My friend, when I had a friend that used to do a ton of online dating, and that's what she used to do when she was going, she'd tell me like where she was going. So Uh I knew. And then she, you know, there's a little check-in, like, everything's okay type thing. When you're in love with a strange
2: man, you check in. That's a thing you do. Yeah.
3: You know, the thing is, like, she wasn't a stranger to, like, the risks of being, like, a female journalist. But she had gone through the training. Like, it was, like, hostile work training. And, like, she had traveled extensively. And she had kind of prepared herself to be in these situations. And I, you know, I can relate to this because I'm thinking, gosh, when I was, like, a defense investigator, it's the same thing. Like, you would always sign out when you left with the address of where you were going So everyone knew where you were. But again, you would take precautions. And, you know, I hate to say it, like as a woman, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to this place. You know what? Big Mike's going to go with me today on this interview because this isn't somewhere I should go alone. So you get the sense that she was being careful, that she was well-versed in doing her job. But also, like Kevin said, that she had more of a chance of sinking in this ridiculous contraption than being murdered and dismembered. But I I think they did a good job covering, you know, that it is risky if you're a female freelance journalist and you're putting yourself in these situations. And this is obviously, you know, way off the norm of what might happen, but it's also like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, this is nothing you would ever imagine would happen to somebody when they went out in a homemade submarine with this guy. It's just so
2: fucking crazy too, because not only did she check in, but there were people on the wharf, like, waving goodbye. This was not a secret that she was going out with. It's like, that's what's so crazy about this murder. So I want to talk about one final character in this that I think we all pointed to as someone that we loved. That is the Royal Denmark Navy Lieutenant Commander. I think it's Dieter Dereborg is is the pronunciation. can we just talk about her because the scene where she reveals how she knew the smell of blood is maybe one of the greatest things I've ever seen in a documentary. Uh, Kevin, can you talk about that reveal?
0: Yeah, but even before that, I mean, you have to you have to acknowledge that here we have a character who's intersex. Mm-hmm. I had to do a little digging deeper. She, you know, she was born intersex. She was raised by her parents with the help of doctors as a boy, and she later decided that she felt more at home as a girl, and so she was in the navy. You know, in uniform with earrings and like just completely natural and it was totally cool. Well in Scandinavia, right? yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's the it difference like, between Europe and America. My and friend. then like all of a sudden we're like, Oh wow, check that out. That's like like that's the way it should be. It's like not a big deal at all. Yep. That's the way and it should so, be. So and she's the expert in submarines. And that's just the backdrop because when she starts talking about her experience on the sub and she says, I recognized the smell of blood, and all of a sudden, she pulls out her mangled hand. <laughs> she lost two fingers in some sort of drinking accident, <laughs> she told Aaron Lee Carr. Uh, it was like, whoa!
1: Many people, they say, how do you know about how, how blood smells? I said, because I know about it. When it leaves the body at high pressure, and it dries out and gets wet, then you have this particular smell. Uh, this was from an accident once.
2: So, this is a scene out of a Scandi noir like television. Show. I yeah. was like, "This is the but character. She's so cool. it's this amazing. is the yeah. character that would be in any Scandi noir television show. It would be like this character is like your favorite character in every Scandi." It's really noir
0: surprising show. that she wasn't um, represented in the investigation, it really no, is. That be, <laughs> because she was a significant investigator and also what a what a cool character.
3: <laughs> well. I, I pulled up, I just have to say like the quote, the actual quote about the blood was also just like, like, how do you know what blood smells like? And, and she says, because I know about it, when it leaves the body at a high pressure and it's wet, it has a particular smell. And I'm like, high pressure blood smells different than low pressure blood? like. And then she went low. with her hand. Yeah. But I was like, wow, that was like, that was a very descriptive, not just like yeah. because my hand got chopped off, but my hand got chopped off and it was high pressure blood. Yes. <laughs> like- it came out
0: fast.
4: When she was talking about how they had to push her through the hatch because like, like i'm kind of round <laughs> <laughs>
2: then we had the uh the photo and she's like squinching her way back and <laughs> yeah. forth through the edge like corkscrew style
0: i'm a little round if i'm stuck trying to go into something i'm afraid i'm never coming
4: out <laughs> <laughs> yeah you send in somebody else on that one yeah i
2: oh, don't know she was the, she was
3: awesome
0: put I in the it. robotic camera i'll tell you from up here
3: there was one other thing that was so awesome about her is that she actually knew Peter Madsen yeah. prior to this. And and so she had followed him and She knew a shit ton about submarines. Yeah. And so when this happened, the quote she said was, oh, it finally happened. Yeah. Like, because she had been expecting his stupid submarine to sink all along because yeah. she knew so much about submarines. So I was like, I just appreciated the knowledge there as well, like, Nobody knows more about submarines than this woman. I appreciate anybody who knows that much about
2: anything, like man or woman, like anybody who can have that specific knowledge, but about something like a submarine in particular, which is like, I don't care if you're some genius. What kind of hubris does it take to build a fucking submarine? And why would you want to have one of those?
0: Yeah, I can't imagine Denmark has a really expansive Navy. The idea that they have a submarine expert they don't just like, we have problems with submarines. We're going to have to call England or something but like that like, to get an expert. Can I yeah. just ask
2: a, a question? Like, we all want to fly, right? Yeah. Like, everyone wants to have a thing. Who wants a fucking submarine? Who wants to go, like, deep under the water, have your ears pop?
4: <laughs> like, you can, there's no,
2: not even any <laughs> windows. It's not like you can go see some fish. So you like
4: to go, like, snorkeling and stuff? Yes, had, but there's it no- had windows. <laughs> Did it? Yes. It... it had all those little windows.
2: I don't know. I mean, but in Denmark- I would 100% trop-
4: love to be in a submarine. I'm claustrophobic. Are there any tropical
2: fish you can see in Denmark? Are there any like, colorful like, angel fish? And, like, That's and, not like- the
4: point. All right. I don't well. fucking know. The guy was just like, yeah, you could go underwater, and then suddenly everything is absolutely silent. And you black. know, I think it's just kind of cool. I think we know what season six of Strange Arrivals is going to be. That's right. <laughs> the submarine season. <laughs>
2: Ping. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Undercurrent? The Disappearance of Kim Vall? It's a new documentary on HBO Max. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Undercurrent?
3: Uh, Yeah, I give thumbs up. I like all the Scandinavian crime shows, uh, real and fiction. And I thought this was interesting because we had really gotten a close up of the investigation, Uh in the investigation, the other show that we watched about this case. But I liked that we really got a sense of Kim, the victim, through this. And we also learned a lot more about Peter, the Denmark version of Elon Musk, and his standing in the country because they made a very deliberate decision not to name him in the other documentary we watched about this. And I thought that learning more about him and sort of how he was viewed Put this all into context in a different way. You know, we've also got some characters in here that were not in the investigation that I think really made this entire documentary. And it's two episodes. I binged it one day. It was really interesting. And so I would recommend it. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Undercurrent?
4: Yeah, I liked it too. You know, I think they did a really, really good job of sort of balancing the stories you get about Kim Vall, the victim, and, um, Peter Madsen, the perpetrator. I feel like you get really good portraits of both of them, and they're both compelling characters. I mean, this is this whole thing like feels like it, it has like sort of the feel of like a uh, airport paperback type thing because it really is like this sort of intrepid young woman journalist and this evil eccentric genius guy, and a murder on a submarine, and and they manage to not sensationalize that story which I think would have been very easy to fall into that. So I I don't know. I thought I thought it was really well done. It's certainly not padded. at all it moves along very quickly. So yeah, I give I give it a good thumbs up. Kevin Flynn.
0: I, yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs up. It's a tepid thumbs up for me. I thought it was uneven in places. I did appreciate that they didn't just talk about Kim Vall in the act one eulogy like all the other documentaries do that they came back to her story again, although I thought that it kind of bounced around between different points of view without much transition. Could have used a beat in between each of those because all of a sudden, oh, wait, we're talking about this now? Like, it just kind of flew a little too seamlessly into one of the one of the other things, and I found it a little hard. To, I'm, I'm trying to catch up to, to where we are. And I also know, you know, based on some other things, you know, that there were parts here that were missing or that could have been explored a little more and would have brought more to this story. But in any event, you can't shut it off. It's a good tale from Aaron Lee Carr. So thumbs up.
2: Man, I really loved this documentary. I'll tell you, I wasn't looking for what wasn't there. I was looking at what was there. I thought it was beautifully made. I thought that it did Kim Vall a great service. And I am not usually a huge fan of true crime stuff that falls over itself to be so victim-centric that it takes away from the what actually happened in the story. And I agree with Toby that this documentary did the perfect balance of both of those things. I learned about the perpetrator, I learned about the crime, And it did service to the victim in the right way. I also just want to give a nod to Erin Lee Carr. I mean, we've talked about a lot of her work on this show. And she's somebody that I've gotten to know like a little bit personally because of interviews I've done with her. Listen to her body of work. She directed this. She directed Britney versus Spears, How to Fix a Drug Scandal. I love you now. Die the Commonwealth versus Michelle Carter. Thought crimes: the case of the cannibal cop. Um, this is somebody who's really building up a body, a very like interesting body of like true crime work across like cases across genres. And this is just a very like different uh, story, different take. And I don't know. I just I thought it was just very sort of like moody, beautifully shot, great sort of cast of of sources. I don't know. I really, really, really enjoy this one. So big thumbs up for me for Undercurrent. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, week. the week. A deer walks into a bar, or more specifically, it jumps through a window. It happened in Oshkosh when a herd of deer ran amuck in the parking lot outside of Dublin's Irish pub. The white-tailed troublemakers were captured on video, leaping sidewalk barricades and outdoor seating. Then one of them jumped into the air and right through the plate glass window of the bar. The video cuts out, and the owners have not responded to media requests about what happened to it. It's not uncommon for a deer to prance through a window, especially if it mistakes its reflection for a rival. Other incidents caught on film include interlopers stuck inside homes, elementary schools, and a Walmart. So, panel, what does a deer order to get smashed? In
3: an Irish pub. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, It's a shot that I've heard of, and it's called The Duck Fart.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I'll tell you what it has. It's uh, equal parts Kahlua, Bailey's, and Crown Royal. Mm. Ew. All right. Okay. Tell me about what do you think a deer orders in an Irish
2: pub to get smashed?
4: Jagermeister, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah Kevin Flynn, a-
2: what do you think?
0: Uh, if a deer wants to get smashed, it would order the shepherd's pie.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, probably. All right, And mashed, yeah. All right. Well, if Laura Bricker folks want to get in touch with you and get your recipes for other fine libations they could get at their local pub, how can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Lara Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to see your fine photos of the Heathers of the great Scottish Highlands. How can they find you on Twitter?
4: At Toby Ball and H.
2: And Kevin Flita, folks want to reach out to you and give you a high five. How can they find you on Twitter?
4: I'm at Kevin P. Flynn.
2: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support the show at Patreon patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you'll get all our extra stuff including the crime writers on after show married with podcast laura brickers leave it to bricker podcast and toby ball's deep dive book club podcasts our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the very astute olivia Burdett. the executive producer of this program is kevin flynn this show was recorded in a yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement that feels a little bit like being in a submarine.
0: Surface! On
1: surface! On behalf of all the
2: crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. All right, let me stretch out my fingers. Let me let Kevin fart. Oh, God. My Is it
3: a duck fart or a regular fart? It
0: sounds like a good drink.